I'm just wondering after three weeks of this sermon series if anyone else is feeling like their family life is uh, beginning to be quite the family project. (laughs) Yes, yeah. (laughs) Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you. Hello to all of you joining us online as well. Welcome. You can turn with me in your Bible to the book of Proverbs. Don't get get stuck there. We're going to be moving, but Proverbs chapter 24. We're going to begin there, and then we'll head to the New Testament after that. Uh, Hope you guys are enjoying this uh, Imperfect Family series. Somebody said to me last week, they said, Pastor, the last two two sermons have been life-changing for my family. That's what it's about. And they said, we're going to bring my family next week. So uh, that's good stuff, church. That's what it's about. So uh, last week we kind of said this, that all of us at some level, and you can see from that video, all of us have some dysfunction in our families. Would you agree with that? All right. But the idea through this sermon series is that we don't continue to live in the dysfunction. Our idea is that we want to bring health into our homes by looking at Scripture and then learning how to apply those verses into our relationships. And the cornerstone relationship of all relationships is the marriage relationship. It's the basis of the family union. And just to get this on the table so that we're all on the same page, God himself is the author of marriage. Okay, It's not something that us humans came up with. It is God's institution, which means he and he alone is the only one who gets to set up the rules, okay? And his plan from the beginning of time always has been and always will be marriage is one man and one woman. That's it. Anything else goes against the scripture, all right? It goes against his own very word. And if you don't like that, you can take it up with God. You can see it in Genesis chapter 2 and Mark chapter 10. All right? So with that in mind, today we're talking about the key to a great marriage. Can we all agree that marriage is difficult at some times? It is. It's tough work because men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Maybe you've read the book. It makes total sense. Men and women don't always see eye to eye or see the world the same way. We experience that in our homes. And so God's word gives us some really good insight on how our relationships can be great. So hopefully you grabbed a bulletin on your way in and inside there's an outline. You can follow along with me. You can use your phone, scan that QR code in front of you, and you can follow along with me digitally as well. So we're in Proverbs chapter 24. We're starting in verse 3. This is our theme passage for this whole sermon series. Here is what the text of Scripture says. By wisdom, a house is built. Now, again, this is not a structure. We're not talking about four walls and a roof. We're talking about relationships. Proverbs has got some allegory going on. This is talking about the relationship specifically within the home now, the family unit. And it says, and through understanding, it is established. And what established means here is to fit together like puzzle pieces coming together nice and sweet. Verse 4. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. So there's two sides to this passage here, by the way. Side one is that great relationships aren't the norm. Maybe you can see that being communicated there. Great relationships are kind of rare. 
You don't have to look far to see that with people in our lives, do you? There's people everywhere in relational turmoil. Now, the other side that you can glean from this text is that it's not until that we invite God's wisdom and his understanding and his knowledge into our own very personal relationships that it's at that point that our relationships will be filled with the rare and beautiful treasures that it's staying here. So remember, Scripture isn't given to us for the sole purpose of informing us. Scripture is given to us by God for the purpose of transformation. That's what we talked about that over a couple series ago. And so the difference between knowledge and transformation is application. We must apply the principles that we learn in Scripture into our relationships and other parts of our lives in order to be transformed. So if you're married, if you're divorced, if you're single, if you're widowed, if you never want to get married, if you want to get married someday, or maybe you just know somebody who wants to get married, it doesn't really matter. Today's message is for you. So regardless of what season of life you're in, this is for you today, congregation, because hopefully somewhere down the line, you'll be able to help somebody else out. Now, let me take you into my world, okay? God help you today. Let's go into my world. As a pastor, one of the things that people ask of us is to help them get married, right? Pa- pastor, will you, will you do my wedding? Well, here's the thing, congregation. I want you to know, if you want me to marry you, you have to do 13 weeks of premarital counseling with me. 13 weeks, 13 weeks, and it goes by really fast. And during this time, here is what the people say. I'm going to move this out of the way. Over here, premarital counseling. Here's what they say. But I love him. She's so wonderful. She's so hot, pastor. Yeah, my wife tells me that all the time. <laughs> Makes me blush, right? Oh, pastor, he's so hot. Yeah, that's, 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 that's what I hear. It's all the lovey-dovey cool stuff, all right? That's premarital counseling, all right? And then one of the other things that us pastors do over here is post-marital counseling. And over here, it's not that. No, it's not that. Because over here, it's like, how many years would I get if I killed them? I'm just kidding about that, but there's actually there's a little bit of truth there, but I'm, I'm not encouraging, you know, that, no, but, but over here, here's what I hear, here's what I hear, I'm falling out of love, I don't have the feelings for him that I once did, the spark is gone, it feels like I'm the only one carrying the marital load, she makes me feel like I'm a single parent. My needs aren't being met, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We've all heard the stories. It's so much different than, oh, baby, I ain't never felt love like this before. In all seriousness, I mean, so that's what happens. That's the difference. And so the question becomes, what changes? What happens from here to what we get here? How did we go from, I can't wait to get married to, I can wait all day long, 
right? I mean, how did we get there? And so in order for us to pursue God's wisdom and to build our family unit, as Proverbs 24 says, we have to understand about relationships. So I put in your outline two very different types of relationships. We see these in the world. Covenant versus consumer relationships. Two very different types. And unfortunately, many marriages we see in our culture today are of the latter. And that's mostly due to relationships being based on romantic love exclusively and not on the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because when your foundation is weak, everything else is going to be weak. It's like building a house on sand. It's not in a good spot. So let's go back to the creation account. You can see in your, uh, in your outline there, Genesis chapter 2, where the beginning of marriage is. I'm going to read from the King James Version. Woo, some of you guys are like, yes, finally. Don't get too comfortable, but I like this one. From the KJV, Genesis 2 verse 24, it says this. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So this is a picture of what a biblical Christian marriage looks like. One flesh. One flesh, meaning one value, one purpose, one goal, one plan, one team. And the word cleave here is not a word that we use very often today. But it basically means to be glued to someone through a covenant. Now think about gluing your fingers together with super glue. You ever had that happen? Not fun, is it? Hard to break apart. So a covenant is a binding promise, and it's often binded through a blood oath. Put the image of this super glue thing into your mind. That is what biblical cleave looks like. So simply put in your outline there, a covenant relationship is based on a promise. And that promise looks something like this. I'm not in this relationship for me. I'm in this thing for my spouse. I'm willing to adjust my needs, my wants, my wishes, my desires in order for my spouse's needs to be met. That congregation is a covenant relationship. So if you're sitting here thinking about getting married one day, and if you mention covenant relationship to your special person, and if they roll their eyes, I'll just say this, put a hold on the check. All right? Tap the brakes, because you might be getting into something that's not going to be very good for you. Covenant relationships always, always, always place the other person's needs first. That is God's plan for marriage. Now, what about the other type? A consumer relationship, right? A consumer relationship is based on what is good for who? For me and my needs, right? That's the consumer relationship. So just take this in for a second. Consumer relationships is based on what is good for me and my needs being met. Yeah, we see this all over the place, don't we? And you can never have health in any relationship unless you look at it truthfully. Because relationships need both grace 
and truth. And in the consumer relationship, this one comes very natural to us. It's the reason why we have over here, but I love him. She's so hot. He's so hot, Pastor. It's the reason why we have all that. It's the reason why we have, baby, I ain't never felt love like this before. It's also the reason why you guys, men, you will do the craziest things in the world while you're dating her to get her attention. Right? And all the women said, that's right. Okay? Men, you'll go shopping, you'll go to the mall, you'll, you'll stop going fishing with your friends so that you can do her laundry. I've seen that happen. You will do all kinds of crazy stuff. And then as soon as you stand before the minister and you say, I do, it all stops. Those days are over with. It happens all the time. And ladies, you'll do some goofy things as well to be around that special guy. Right? You'll go deer hunting. You got, yeah, you will. And so we do all this stuff over here in premarital. And by the way, we're actually kind of living out what covenant relationship should be. It's very self-sacrificial, self-sacrificing. And it's a good thing. But then when we say, I do, everything changes. And what happens in that? I'll tell you, for even the most dedicated Christian couples, consumerism creeps in. And the reason for that is, so we're on the same page, we are all selfish by nature. It's part of that sin nature that we have. We all want things to go our own personal way. We don't like conflict either. And because we don't like conflict, we normalize the consumerism. Congregation, we just have to recognize that's what's going on. Are we all on the same page? All right, last week I said the dysfunction is kind of interesting, by the way, because we often do not even see it in our own lives. We have blinders on. We're right here. Our own dysfunction just seems like normal, everyday life to us. As a result, we just keep on keeping on. We just keep on keeping on. And consumerism takes over, and we have that thinking in our relationship. Happens all the time. And that's why we have over here, I'm falling out of love. That's why we have, I don't feel like my needs are being met. That's why we have over here, it feels like I'm carrying the majority of the marital load and all those other types of things because the relationship has shifted and it's now more about my needs. It's the consumer. And so if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know, Pastor Wayne, maybe my marriage is looking a little bit more consumer than it is covenant. Let me just give you a word of hope. Don't beat yourself up. Because the good news is that we worship a God who is more concerned with where we're going than where we were. So to get you going in the right direction and to bring God's wisdom, his understanding, and his knowledge right into your home, into your marriage, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Mark in the New Testament, chapter 12. One of the best things we can do as Christ followers is to get help for our relationships. And one of the best things we can do is go to the author of love, the author of romance, the creator of us, Jesus. And we can see what he has to say about love. And that leads me to point number one in your outline. Jesus had a lot to say about the subject of love. So if you will, in your Bibles, Mark chapter 12, let's begin with verse 30. 
This is the great commandment. It's a popular verse, very familiar. Mark 12, 30 and 31, it says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Verse 31, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no, everybody say no. Come on, church, everybody say no. There is no greater commandment than these. Which means, for us in 2021, this is a big deal. Okay? This is a big deal. Y'all get this? It's a big deal. So Jesus comes along. He's talking to the crowd. He's talking to the teachers of the law. And he just raises the bar. He elevates the value of love to society. He elevates the value of wives and children. And he takes the cultural standard that has been in place regarding family life, everything that the Jewish people had ever known or perceived, and completely wipes it out and creates a brand new standard for all of his followers. And he's talking about loving God first. And we're always working on that, aren't we? And then he says to love your neighbor as yourself. Because remember, a few years later, the church is actually established. And families begin to be, get involved in all that sorts of things. So how do we take this idea of love God first, love your neighbor as yourself, and apply that right into our family context? What does that look like? How does that principle apply? Great question. So now, go to the right in your Bible. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. couple hundred pages to the right, you'll run into Ephesians. Ephesians 5 is a very important book because it's the application of that very mandate that we see in Mark. Jesus gave that mandate to all of us, and here's Paul. He's drawing from that teaching, and he's going right here to the church in Ephesus and teaching them and us how to apply love God, love neighbor in the family life. And by the way, we are all accountable to it. So, Number two in your outline, God's covenant standard is mutual submission in marriage. We've already learned about husbands and wives are to cleave to each other. And during the daily cleaving, there has to be a working system of day-to-day relating. So Jesus gives us the principle, submit to God, love him first. Then right behind it, love your neighbor as yourself. How does that apply in marriage? Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. A lot of people want to bypass this verse because they want to go right to 522. 522 is built on 521. 521 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I want you to grab your pencil, circle the words, submit to one another. This is part of loving your neighbor as yourself. God says that when we're married, we must submit our will, our wants, our needs, our desires to our spouse. It's the whole attitude of the other person is more important than me. You know, we kind of have heard that. And so we get to these verses that follow now, and the ones that highlight all the family roles, the wives and the husbands and the kids and all that stuff, they actually make more sense to us. Because the idea is that in the home, there is to be this consistent application of godly mutual submission already going on. So if you have that context in play, submit to God first, submit to my will, the will of my spouse, 
And then from the kids, it's submit to God and submit to the will of the parents, and then you'll see it here. Now look at verse 22. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for her. Let me pause right there. Jesus died for the church. He died for the church. That's, that's some submission going on there. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, for all you children and students out here, the Bible says, children, obey your parents and Lord, for this is right. Now, this is what mutual submission looks like, congregation. And it all begins out of reverence for Jesus. All of it. You cannot submit to one another if you're more concerned about you. Won't happen. If you're all about you, your needs, your wants, your will, you are destined for problems. I promise you that. Because as my mom taught me, there is no I in we. And I know a lot of you have taught that to your kids. There's no I in we, no I in team. Both parties. Both parties. It's mutual submission. That's what it's about. It's about a covenant relationship, and this is what it looks like. It's, it's like where, hey, I'm in this thing for my wife, not for my needs, but for her. And she's in this thing for me, not for herself. Both parties seeking to prioritize and serve the other, and here's the ticket here, without expecting to be served. That is what biblical, God-honoring marriage looks like, congregation. And so you see in your outline, this is the key. You want to know what the key is to a great marriage? Mutual submission. You want to see your marriage get better? This is the secret sauce, folks. It's not mustard. It's not ketchup. It's this one. Start implementing this idea of mutual submission into your homes. And begin, or continue, depending on where you're at, submitting your will to your spouse. Why? Out of reverence for the Lord Jesus. That's what verse 21 says. And men, men, it starts with you, buddy. It starts with you. If you want a godly home, you have to recognize that you are the leader. That's what God has called you to do. When you walk in from work, you can see that your kids have torn your house up. Oh my gosh, it looks like an F5 tornado came through. Your wife has picked the toys up off the floor for the last time today, count, count it 17 times, okay? So you walk in and a great way to practice this idea of mutual submission is to offer to take the kids out for pizza and go to the park, right? Just say, hey honey, I got this. Go rest, and you just text me when you want us to come home, okay? That's an example, but that's what it looks like. And Paul, by the way, the apostle Paul already knows the pushback and the arguments from the people because sometimes people push back on this idea. And I get it because they're hurt. I think you do too, but it looks like this. It's like, Pastor Wayne, you want me to submit to my spouse? Are you kidding me? Pastor, you don't know the backstory. My wife said this, my husband did that, he promised, and, and she didn't do, and all that stuff. And, and we've heard the stories. 
whether it's in our own context, in our home, or somebody else that we know. And Paul is saying in these verses here that that's not the requirement. The requirement isn't mutual submission because they're worthy. Because your spouse isn't worthy. And neither are you. We do mutual submission out of reverence for Jesus. Because Jesus alone is our ultimate model. So kids, students, we obey moms and dads not because they're worthy. Listen, they're not. They're fallen human beings too. We do it out of obedience to the Lord Jesus. Mutual submission in the family out of reverence for Christ. That congregation is the difference between covenant relationship and consumer relationship. Which then begs the question, you see in your outline there. As we seek to apply this idea into our homes this week, number three is how do I move from a consumer relationship to a covenant relationship? How do I actually do that? Ask this question, what can I do to help? I wish it was more theological than practical. I really do, but it's not. It's real simple. In your homes, you could start this today. Honey, what can I do to help? Hi, honey, I'm home. Here comes Dino. Right? Dino dumps, he jumps up into your lap, licks your face. Right, you guys have all seen the, 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 the thing, right? Put the dog down. Honey, how can I help? Do we need to practice? Are we okay on this? I think we got it. Now, some of you are probably sitting here saying, if my husband came in and he said, how can I help? I would have died and gone to heaven. And that's actually the point, isn't it? To bring heaven into the home. The heartbeat of Christ is all about giving of oneself for the benefit of the other person, right? Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Look at Romans chapter five, verse six. I'm gonna read from the New American Standard Version in your outline. For while we were still, what church? Helpless, just stop right there. Helpless, while we were still helpless. Here's Jesus saying, what can I do to help? Our greatest problem is our sin problem. We could never be redeemed to a holy God on our own. We're not worthy enough. We were helpless in our sin. And so Jesus comes to the rescue. Thank you, Lord. He came to help us. And the scripture says, at the right time. At the right time in human history. When all of humanity was helpless, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Now get a load of this. For who? The ungodly, the unworthy. That means for you, for your spouse, for your friend's spouse who isn't here today, for the people in your homes, the people who live with you, you know, the people who have the same last name as you, them. The people who overpromise and underdeliver, those folks. The people who frustrate the tar out of you, them. Christ died for them. Verse 7. 
For one will hardly die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for the good person, someone would even dare to die. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that, while we were still sinners, meaning you have a past, you have a story, so does your spouse. There are skeletons in your closet that you hope no one will ever find out about. And scripture says that while we were still sinners, what church? Christ died for us. This is the picture of a covenant relationship. A picture of our relationship to God. If you ever wanted to know what a Christian marriage is supposed to look like, it's supposed to look like your relationship with Christ and what he has done for you. Sacrificial love. You're not worthy. You don't bring anything to the table. You have nothing to offer God. And yet, out of his amazing love, Jesus died for you and for me to redeem us and make us whole. If you're married, that is the relationship we are to have with our spouse. Sacrificial love. If you're planning on getting married in the future, that is what the relationship is supposed to look like. So I ask you, congregation, how are you doing today? Awesome. Are you in a covenant relationship or are you in a consumer relationship? Three quick practical steps to help you today. Because in about 30 minutes, it's going to be 12 o'clock noon and we're all going to want to have lunch. Okay? Three quick steps. Number one, ask for forgiveness if you've been in, in a consumer relationship. Maybe you've been committed to it. We just got to ask forgiveness because this is where some of you might see your family situation at. It's not perfect. I want you to know I get it. We all have imperfect families. But just ask God for forgiveness. Make the changes and move forward. That's all you can do. It's the first step of healing. It really is. You have to own your part. Be honest with God. He already knows what's going on. You ain't hiding anything from him. But humble yourself. Come before him. You know, God can do a lot with a humble heart. He can. Number two, commit to a covenant relationship. Turn your back on the consumerism, on the consumer relationship mindset that plagues our world. Because that is the world's way of doing things. It's driven by the flesh, but instead be led by the Spirit of God and do marriage His way. Have the right foundation. And it begins with saying, hey, honey, I'm home. Is there anything I can do to help? And when the answer is yes, hear me, congregation, move heaven and earth to actually help your spouse out. They need you. And they will appreciate you so much. Lastly, number three. Commit your marriage to Jesus. And honestly, if you have a spouse with a mean spirit and is far away from Jesus, I know that those relationships exist. They're as far away from Jesus as Timbuktu is to us right now. Listen, Jesus can change the heart of anybody. 
We've seen that over and over in scripture and there are countless testimonies out there. Some of you in this room today have testimonies of what Jesus has done. Amen? If things are tough for you, pray for your spouse. Ask God to soften their heart to hear him and to hear his word because we believe God is still in the business of doing miracles. We believe that Jesus can break through even the hardest of hearts. And in some cases, yeah, individual counseling may be helpful. Additionally, marriage counseling may be needed. And some people will say, well, pastor, I can't afford marriage counseling. Listen, the truth is you can't afford not to. Your family's future is on the line. Fight for it. Stay committed to Jesus. Obey his word. And listen, if you have abuse in your home, protect yourself. Protect your rights. Get help. These situations are never pleasant, but they are real in our world. Congregation, God is for you. God is for you, congregation. He is for your family. He loves you, and he loves your family so much. He loves you so much that he died on a cross for each one of your family members. And he wants your family to be healthy. He wants your family to not be dysfunctional. And that's why he gives us a plan to love each other in Scripture. The key to all of this today, the key to all of it, it begins with husbands and wives. It begins with mutual submission. That, my friends, that is the key to a great marriage. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand and join me in the word of prayer. God, as we come before you this morning, Lord, I just lift up every person in this room today. I lift up every home every relationship that is in need of healing. God, you see behind the doors of of our home, you know exactly what's going on. Nothing is hidden. It is all laid bare before you. So Lord, I just simply ask right now that you would continue to come into my own home, into the homes of everybody else in this room and those watching us online. God, that you will be present Draw us to your spirit, Lord. Help us to begin or continue to apply this idea of mutual submission into our homes. God, we know that that is how it happens to happen. So, Father, I pray that we will have the strength, the wisdom, the knowledge, and the guidance to do that, Lord. You can do amazing things, and we trust you today, Lord God. So once again, Father, I lift up every home in this house today. Lord, for those of us in this room who don't know you, who don't know you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you will speak to those hearts today. Help them to know that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And if that's you, congregation, if there's any of you out here today that don't know Jesus as Lord, that is the reality that you have, that God died on a cross for you through his son, Jesus Christ, because he loves you. And so if you feel faith today and you wanna turn your heart to the Lord, just say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. I admit that I am a sinner and that I need you. So God, come into my heart. I want to live for you for the rest of my days. We pray these things in your holy and most precious name and all God's people said, amen. Congregation, let's worship this morning.